You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. I, I want to share with you this morning just a couple of verses out of John's Gospel. John chapter 16, verse 32 and verse 33 says, But the time is coming. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. The time is coming indeed, and it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That, that's an interesting statement that Jesus made to his disciples, to his followers. Very soon you will be scattered. I will be gone. And know this, that in life, in, in the world, you will face stress. You will face challenges. You will face trials and you will face pain. You know, it's a very, very rare and a very unusual person who enjoys pain. Most of us will avoid it at almost any cost. The, the slightest inkling of a headache and we reach for the Panadol. I don't know about you, but, but I don't like headaches. I am one of those people, if I just get a twinge, I go for the Panadol or something stronger if it's available. I, I suffer from migraines and those of you who have migraines know what they're like. Praise God, I haven't had one for almost two years now, but when I, uh, when I do get one, they can be one of the most debilitating things that I've ever experienced. Margot has learned that they are different to a headache, and uh, in the early days, it was like, just get over it, it's a headache. What is wrong with you, you wuss? You know, suck it up, take the pain. But I don't like pain, and I think it is a very rare and a very unusual person who, who actually enjoys pain. You know, at the, the slightest sign of tension in a friendship or a relationship, we are either, either quickly try to fix it with a, a minimum amount of fuss so that it's all resolved and it's over with so we don't have to deal with anything deep or, or hurting or, or challenging. We, we either, either try and solve it quickly or, or we busy ourselves with other activities hoping that the tension will eventually just all pass and then we can move on without having to go anywhere near anything that could compound the pain. Most of us don't like pain at all. And we are escape artists when it comes to facing pain. You know, some of us have even convinced ourselves that God is actually committed to helping me avoid pain. But the Bible has a very, very different view on the purpose of pain and the process of pain. And the outcome and the outworking of pain in our lives. Pain, believe it or not, actually has a divine purpose. It actually has a higher purpose and plan in our life that if it's not embraced scripturally or biblically, we will suffer for nothing. We will go through pain for no reason, no greater purpose, if we don't embrace it scripturally. You know, there are, there are probably four basic human approaches to life and the pain that life brings. 
The first approach is the paranoid approach. It's, it's the Murphy's Law approach to pain. It's, it's where we adopt an attitude where, where if something can go wrong, it will. That's, that's Murphy's Law. If you've ever, never read Murphy's Law, Google it. It's an interesting little read. But if something can go pear-shaped, it, then it will go pear-shaped. It, it's a foregone conclusion. It's, it's definitely going to happen in my life. And I just need to accept and appreciate that, that it will happen and that nothing will ever work out for me. I've met a lot of people like that. You know, I never get chosen for anything. I never get picked for anything. I never, I never win anything. Even if I buy all the raffle tickets, I still won't have my ticket pulled out of the bag. Even though every one of them's mine, bet your bottom dollar I don't win the raffle. It's the paranoid approach to life. And the paranoid Christian believes ultimately that the gospel will pay off in heaven, but that it's a totally different story here on earth. The paranoid Christian basically expects pain, anticipates pain. It, it, it appreciates that pain is inevitable, it will come, and I just need to face it and get through it and just know that it's my lot in life. That's the paranoid approach to life. What the paranoid approach does is that it ultimately lessens the, the effect or the impact of pain when it comes because it anticipates it. It's ready for it. Well, I knew this was going to happen anyway, so I've just got to just ride it through and deal with it. And there's a lot of Christians like that. They just have this half glass full approach to life rather than the half, uh, half glass empty approach to life rather than the half uh, glass half full. The second approach is the fatalistic approach. It's the Doris Day approach, the que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, que sera, Sarah. It's, it's the approach that says that, that it's part of life, it's fate, it's destined, and it, it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it'll happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Just accept it and roll with it. I, I was on a flight to Adelaide just a couple of weeks ago, and, and I experienced, I believe, the worst turbulence I've ever experienced in in flying. And I've flown quite a few times in my life and I've flown across the world, I've flown around Australia. So I've experienced quite a few flights and I've experienced rough turbulence, but this flight to Adelaide was different. It we were thrown around. We you know, even the stewardesses and the stewards had to sit down and put their seatbelts on, the service stopped, and it went on for quite some time. It was so so violent, the tossing and throwing of the plane. I thought this could be it. And I just thought, well, Lord, all the days of my life have been allotted to me before they even began. This just might be the last one of those days and this might be the end. And I remember just adopting that attitude. If this is it, then this is it. And I just need to roll with it because it's, it's fate, it's destiny, it's purpose. It's, it's been planned out for me. My steps are ordered by the Lord and this could be just the way that I go. I just pray, Lord, that it's quick. You know, the impact, let it be so hard that I don't feel anything, that I don't know anything and at least... At least let them find my wedding ring so my wife can wear it on a chain around her neck for the rest of her life. And all these thoughts go on through my mind. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Doris Day approach. It's, 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 it's going to come. So when it does, just accept it. Let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back and, and just know that it's inevitable and that's just the way we approach it, it takes pain in its stride. And it, it stands back believing it won't last, just hang on, ride it out, 
there is a, a better day that comes. The third approach is the heroic approach. So we've had the paranoid approach. If anything's going to go wrong, it will. The gospels, you know, it'll pay off in heaven, but it's just, I just got to tough it out in this life and experience it. The, the fatalistic approach is whatever will be, will be. If it hurts, it hurts. That's all there is. There's nothing I can do about it. Just roll with it. But the heroic approach is the Buzz Lightyear approach. It's uh, Star Command. Star Command, do you read me? Star Command. I sense an alien presence. Star Command, I may need backup. Star Command. Star Command, I'm going in. I'm going in. If your backup doesn't arrive, just know that I'm doing it for the cause. Star Command, Buzz Lightyear signing out. I'm going in. To infinity. That's the heroic approach to pain in life. It sees suffering and pain as another challenge to overcome. The, the heroic approach, just, we just grit our teeth, we look it in the eye, we face it head on, we challenge it and we go for it. We just say, this thing is not going to beat me. I am not a victim in this life. I am an overcomer and I'm going to attack this thing head on with everything that I've got. However, the heroic approach is not the belief that all things work together for good. The, the heroic approach is the approach that says, I'm master of my own destiny. I'm in control of my own future. That, that's the, the Buzz Lightyear approach. It's also the Nike approach. Just do it. Just, just go for it. Just take the pain. Just suck it up and get through as fast as you can. Be as alert as you can. You will come out the other side. This approach is about survival of the fittest. Eat or be eaten. It's not about actually being a biblical overcomer. That's the heroic approach. Then there's the optimistic approach, the last, the fourth most common approach to life. The optimistic approach probably resembles the closest to a life of faith, the closest to following Jesus, but it still misses the point. You see, the paranoid frowns at life. The fatalist just grins at life. The heroic grits his teeth at life. The, the optimist laughs through life, just sees the good in everything. The optimist just expects things to happen. It's the let, let go and let God approach to life because God loves me. I can reason very, very clearly that he, he loves me. He has a wonderful plan for my life. The optimistic approach says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the great things that God has in store for those who, who love him. It really says ultimately that if God is for me, I can expect the best in the outcome of this. It's, it says that, that at the end of the day, this will bless me. This will help me. This will do something great in me. This will, will somehow achieve something of a divine purpose within me. It's, it's an approach that, that I can expect in the end, all things will work out for my good. But it still misses it. You see, God loves us, absolutely loves us. No, no question about that. No doubt whatsoever about that. God loves us and he most definitely has a wonderful plan for my life. But to live life with an attitude of this will all work out for my best in the end misses something significant in Scripture. You see, what if God's best for your life is to labour patiently for 40 years with a hard-hearted, recalcitrant youth group 
who constantly slip back into worldly ways, constantly not turning up for the youth meetings, constantly misbehaving with the opposite sex? What if, what if God's best for your life is to patiently labour with those people and then ultimately after 40 years, not one of those young people actually experienced the promised land that you laboured so hard to get them into. And then at the end of that, not only do they not experience the promised land, you get so frustrated with life, so frustrated with things not working out, so frustrated with where is the power of God? Where is the hand of God? Why aren't people getting the message? You get so frustrated that you strike a rock or you punch the wall. And then out of that, you're told you can't go in either. You see, the optimistic approach falls apart in the light of the realities of stories like Moses because that was Moses' calling. That was Moses. That was God's best for Moses. You see, Moses did what he was called to do. Moses were in his humanity made mistakes. Moses in his humanity at times missed the mark and, and let anger control his decisions rather than, than godly perspective and prayer. And, and in the process of that, not one of the people that he delivered out of Egypt actually experienced where they were supposed to go. It should have taken two weeks to get there. It took 40 years. And in the end, every single one of his people never experienced the promised land. Yeah, that was God's plan for Moses. So you can't say that no matter what comes my way, no matter what I face, it will ultimately turn out for my best in the end because it falls apart in the eyes of the story of people like Moses. Optimism is a comfort zone for people who want to avoid pain. If we view pain as something to be simply faced, resolved, overcome and got through as quickly as possible, which many of us do. Many of us do. Many of us approach pain saying, I don't know why this is happening. God must have a higher plan. And I've just got to get through this fast. I've got to get through this and get out the other side. I just, I just have to make sure I just stay the course and don't collapse in the process. And then eventually we come out the other side. If we see pain as simply that we have to overcome it, resolve it, get through it as quickly as possible, we will ultimately miss a greater and higher purpose that pain has in our what, what does this verse in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 actually mean? It's not there. Hebrews, there it is. Chapter 5 and verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience obedience. He learned obedience from the things that he suffered. If, if pain is suffering, if pain and suffering is something simply to be got over, we will miss a much higher purpose in this process. This verse isn't just talking about the pain of the crucifixion, as painful as that would have been. You see, when he was on the cross, he didn't have the power to obey or submit. It was over. He suffered on the cross. He died on the cross. He went through excruciating pain on the cross. He was asphyxiated on the cross in a very slow manner. He suffered on the cross. But you can't learn obedience in that setting. This is talking about a life that 
experienced suffering and pain. It's talking about a life that journeyed through valleys and dark times and lonely times and difficult times. You see, Jesus tasted and experienced throughout His entire life pain and suffering. And the Bible tells us that the the purpose of the pain and the suffering was for Him to learn obedience. I don't want to miss what this verse is actually telling me about my pain and suffering. When I go through disappointment, when I go through setback, when I face challenges, when I'm hurt in the process of serving God's purpose, when I'm hurt in the process of just doing life, I, I too want to learn what God wants me to learn in the process. Otherwise, I will suffer for nothing. You see, Jesus tasted and experienced pain, the pain of misunderstanding and rejection. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. John chapter 6 and verse 66. I spoke out of this last Sunday morning around the communion table. He talked about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are not one of my own. And many of his disciples misunderstood what he was trying to teach. Uh, we're not just talking about the crowd, folks. We're talking about his close friends. Those that he did life with. Those that hung with him day in and day out. Those that got, got socially connected with him. Those that ate with him and slept alongside of him and camped out at night with him. Those that heard him share intimately around the campfire at night. Somewhere in the process of him teaching them, they misunderstood what he was saying and they didn't, they didn't like what he said. And rather than try and seek clarification, the Bible says they walked away and left him. They abandoned him. They walked with him no more. He knew the pain of being misunderstood. He knew the pain of experiencing rejection in the process. He knew the pain of misrepresentation. Remember what the Pharisee said? He casts out demons by the power of the devil. That was a lie. It wasn't the truth. He cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit alone. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit in his life that was healing people and restoring people and helping people and giving out so much of his well, out of the well of his innermost being, giving out and giving out and giving out. But in the process of that, they began to, to misrepresent him by saying that he casts out devils in the power of the devil. You see, but Jesus suffered these things. But in the process of this, Jesus learned something. In the pain. He didn't just grin and bear it. He didn't just go, well, this must be just part of the process. I've just got to tough it out. I've just got to hang in there. I'll just go to bed early tonight and I'll sleep this thing off. When I get up in the morning, the pain will be gone. Or if it's still there, I'll be stronger to get through whatever this is about. I don't know. I don't want to know. I just want to get it behind me as quickly as possible. If we treat pain in life like that, rather than say, Lord, I'm feeling pain. What is it you want me to learn from this? Then we will miss God's plan. And often... If we miss God's plan, you know what he does? He brings us back around again because he loves us so much. He wants us to get it. He wants us to understand. He wants us to learn. You see, Jesus also uh, experienced slander and false accusation. That, that's a hard thing to bear. False accusation and slander. It's a really hard thing for a human soul to bear. But Jesus bore it. That's why he's such a great high priest. That's why he's such a great friend. Because whatever you feel, whatever you suffer, whatever pain is happening in your life, you can sit in his presence and know you know what this feels like because you've been there. You experienced it way before I did. Jesus talked to me. 
Help me to learn what I need to learn from this. Help me to know how you got through this. What did you learn in this? You're my big brother. You're my saviour, but you're my big brother. And I want you to help me grow as a son of God like you learned obedience as a son of God. Help me to too learn the process. But he, he experienced the pain of slander. and So he learned obedience through the things he suffered. It's not just talking about the cross. It's talking about the life that he lived. Pilate went out and said to the Pharisees, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And on goes the false accusation and slander of the things that they wanted Pilate to crucify him over. He experienced the pain of betrayal. Judas, one of the closest of his disciples. You see, there were a lot of disciples. You remember Jesus sent 70 of them out at one time in pairs? We think sometimes Jesus only had 12 but there were a heck of a lot more disciples. He sent 70 of his disciples out in pairs, teaching them the ways of ministry. But there was 12. There was an inner circle. There was a, a close group, those that he really poured out his heart to, those that he, he really connected with. And one of them, Judas, betrayed him with a kiss. Didn't just betray him, but pretended to still be his friend and went up and kissed him. But Jesus knew and he said, Judas, do you betray me with a kiss? Because Judas had already said to the soldiers, the one I kiss is the one, arrest him. So rather than walk in and own it and be tough and stand up and, and be a man of courage, he was a coward. He went in and he kissed Jesus and he betrayed him. You know, that would have wounded and hurt so deeply in the heart of our Saviour. He experienced the pain of loneliness. Father, please, please let this cup pass from me. God, I, I don't think I can drink this. He'd already suffered enough in life with all the things we've been talking about. But now it's like they're going to beat me to a pulp. They're going to whip my back. He, he knew what he was about to go through. And he's going, God, I, I can't do this. And his humanity came out like never before. He was so stressed that the Bible says his sweat turned to drops of blood. Little blood vessels began to burst in his forehead and blood began to come out through the pores of his skin. He was so stressed. He said, Father, if it's possible, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can face this. This is just too much to bear. But he says, God, whatever your plan is, I'll, I will roll with it. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever, whatever your plan is, I will, I will face the pain. I will go through the anxiety. I will go through the suffering. Whatever your plan is. He then comes back and finds his innermost circle of supporters in the land of Nod, totally oblivious to what he was facing. He knew the pain of loneliness. Is there not one of you could at least stay awake and stand with me in this moment? You have no idea what I'm going through right now. How many of you ever experienced something like that where you're just so lonely, you just think nobody knows, nobody understands, nobody appreciates what I'm carrying, what I'm feeling? Jesus understood. Jesus feels it. Jesus knows. He went through the pain of discomfort. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere. Now, come on, do you read your Bible? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He knew the pain of discomfort. Oh, you know, I've been on a housing list for 20 years now and I still haven't got a house, still haven't got anywhere to lay my head. Well, talk to Jesus. He understands. He understands. I've been at the line of Centrelink for I don't know how long now and I'm just not getting a job and I'm so not comfortable in my lifestyle right now. Talk to Jesus. He understands. He knows the pain of those things and then ultimately the pain of the cross. Jesus didn't just grow stronger through the things he suffered. 
He didn't just get tougher on the inside or the outside. He didn't just develop a thick skin and a skin, maintaining a soft heart. He learned something by the things he suffered. He learned obedience. He learned submission to the ultimate plan of his father. Let me tell you something. Just getting through pain and getting out the other side is not the key to breakthrough. The key to breakthrough is submission and obedience to the Word of God. That's the key to breakthrough. Many of us think, oh, I'm an overcomer. I faced this and I got over it. I challenged that and I got through it. This came into my life and it didn't take me out. That's all good. And I believe the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. But if it doesn't lead us to a place of greater submission and obedience to the Word of God, we will not experience the breakthrough that God has for us. Obedience and submission. You know, obedience isn't true obedience until we're told to do something we don't want to do. We think we're obedient to the Word of God until the Word of God or the Holy Spirit prompts our heart to do something we don't want to do. Submission isn't true submission until we are prepared to surrender to something we don't want to do. And often God will give me what I truly need in a package I don't want. And His whole purpose in that is to make me into the man or woman of God, that He has created me to be, that I might learn obedience through the things that I suffer. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, Jesus was a man of sorrow and familiar with grief. Why do we think God is committed to our comfort? Why do we think God is committed to helping us avoid pain? When his own son, who is our example, who we are called to follow, actually went through so much of it. He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. What we have to do is learn from Jesus to learn from the pain and the suffering that we face so that we become the bigger people God has called us to become. You know, Jesus' life was full of pain and suffering. Yet not once, not once, do we find Jesus dealing with his pain-filled realities by turning to cynicism or sarcasm? Yet how often have I become cynical because of a relentless thing that won't let up? How often have I become critical and judgmental and bitter and twisted on the inside because this thing, whatever it is, has gone on for years and it just will not let up? Why will this thing just not let up? It's like God... Help me to learn what you want me to learn through this. You haven't lifted this out of my life. Therefore, I mustn't have learned the lessons yet. That's the approach we have to take. Jesus' life was full of pain, yet not once do we find Jesus handling unfair treatment by exacting angry revenge or becoming bitter on the inside. Not once. Instead, he hangs on the cross and says those famous words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're Oh, God, make, make me a bigger man. I'm expected to follow that. I'm expected to follow that. Yes, we are. Through the help and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we are expected to follow that. Not once did Jesus in his life of pain walk away from his calling because the disappointments in life became just too much to handle. Not once did he throw in the towel and walk away. And I thank God for that. Not once. Yet he had every right to. 
He was a man without sin. He was, the, he was right in every single occasion. He was the righteous one. He was the, the sincere one. He was the innocent one. And yet through all of these things, misunderstanding, misrepresentation, lies and slander, betrayal and loneliness, through all of that where he, he just, Father, where is your presence? Why have you forsaken me? Not once did he walk away from his call. He stayed the course and he learned obedience through the things... That he suffered. Let me, let me tell you this, folks. Suffering can either move us towards God or it can move us away from God. It'll have one of those two effects. Let me tell you, suffering changes the human heart. Pain. It changes the human heart, sometimes for good, but sadly, too often for the not so good. If we want to become the people God has created us to become. We must consider how to live well in a fallen, broken, pain-filled world. We, let me say that again. If we want to become the people that our God has created us to become, we have to learn how to live well in a fallen, broken, and pain-filled world. I'm going to start wrapping this up with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Paul, the apostle, has received incredible revelation from heaven. And he tells us in verse 7, To keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. To torment me. To prevent me from becoming proud. I was given a messenger from Satan. This thing is a demonic entity empowered to do this by heaven. Can you believe this? Simply to keep Paul from becoming proud. He says, and to keep me from becoming proud, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Three different times I said, God, I can't take this anymore. God, I'm your servant. God, I'm faithful. God, I'm always there. God, I've, I've suffered so much for you. You know how many times I've been beaten. You know how many times I've been shipwrecked. You know how many times I've been abandoned. I went before the judge and all my friends let me go alone. I, I suffered in jail. Alexander the coppersmith did me so much harm. God, on and on and on goes the list. I don't have to remind you. You know what I've gone through. God, can you just take this last sucker away from me? I can't cope with it anymore. Three times he said, I bet. God to remove it and each time God said my grace is all you need my power works best in weakness so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me and troubles uh, sorry that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles. I take pleasure in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, when I am weak, then I am strong. Not, it doesn't say when I'm weak, then you're strong. It says when I'm weak, I am strong because your power works best in my weakness. We're not told specifically what Paul's thorn in the flesh was other than it was demonically empowered. And demons are merciless. Demonic entities have no values, no righteous principles. They are merciless in their endeavor to undermine the purposes of God. Many, many, many biblical scholars believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh may have been some kind of pain in his body or some kind of illness that he suffered. Other scholars feel it was more spiritual 
in nature, that it was something he just couldn't overcome, like a temptation that just plagued his thoughts, his mind. And he knew, God, this is ungodly. I, I'm a man of God. I don't want to think like this. I don't want this temptation. God, would you take this pestering thing away from me? Some people believe that's what it was. Others believe it was just simply a person that was just succumbing to, to demonic entities that were harassing Paul in his ministry, constantly being a pain in the neck. I was going to say something else then, but you can't say that in church. Bottom is what I was going to say. But. We're not told exactly what it was, but whatever it was, whatever it was, it, was, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't pleasant. It was actually tormenting. How many of you ever had like migraines? They are tormenting. I, I remember, you know, when Margot, and I, I say this all respect to Margot because she now gets it. But she just didn't get it because she's never had a migraine. Well, when I've had a migraine, I've been on the lounge room floor at 2 o'clock in the morning, pushing my head into the floor, trying to get relief, wanting to get an axe and plant it through the top of my skull to let the pressure out. It was so bad. And then you can't keep painkillers down because you start vomiting and you, you take them and you bring them back up again. It's so bad. In the end, I said to her one day, I said, Margaret, you've got to take me to the hospital. I can't take this anymore. And she was embarrassed. She said, I'm not taking you to the hospital. That's for sick people. Now remember, she gets it now. So I'm not, I'm not making this hard on Margot. Understand it. She's never experienced it. But you see, Jesus has experienced our pain at amazing levels. He does get it. I go to the hospital. They put a needle in my rump. And within 10, 15 minutes, you, you're euphoric. You're up. Come and get me a chocolate milk, will you? I feel great. And then she's even more embarrassed because it's like you walked in here 20, actually you almost crawled in here 20 minutes ago. And it's like, and now we're going out. 10 minutes later, people are looking at us as you walk out with a stride and you step. It's like, it's such a good fit. One time, one, this is how much I can't handle pain. One time I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and it was the onset woke me up. And it was coming on quickly. I got out of bed. I pulled my clothes on. Margot woke up and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to the hospital. I got a migraine. I've got to go. I knew it was a bad one. And she said, oh, do you want me to drive you? I haven't got time. So I got in the car, drove myself to the hospital, parked, I don't know where, walked in two o'clock in the morning. The woman behind the desk looked at me and said, you've got a migraine, haven't you? Oh, thank you, Jesus. You get it? You understand. It's tormenting. And whatever it was Paul had, it was tormenting him. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For God called you to do good, serve kingdom purpose, even if it means suffering. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, knowing that he too was a follower of Jesus, Paul too learned obedience through the things that he suffered. My grace is all you need, Paul, to get through the pain. I'm not taking the pain off you. I'm not removing the problem from you. I don't understand why he didn't or why at times he won't in my life. I don't get it. But sometimes he just says, I want you to learn to tap into my grace. I want you to learn to tap into my enabling power. I want, and Paul then says, I want to learn in my weakness how to tap into your strength. I don't want you every time I face a weakness to just give me strength. I want to learn how to tap into your strength. I want to learn, as the psalmist said, when I go through the valley of weeping, to learn how to sink a well in the middle of it and draw with joy well from the waters of salvation. I want to learn the processes of how to get through in a godly manner. I want to learn how to behave well in a fallen world. I want to learn how to respond in a biblical and godly manner when I'm disappointed, when people let me down, when I'm, 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 I find that I've taken 10 steps forward and 35 back. I want to learn how to respond well. 
in a fallen world. He says, my power works best when you're weak. I want you to learn, Paul, not to be self-sufficient. Then in the middle of the pain, you learn how to trust me. Unfortunately for many of us, it doesn't drive us to God, though it drives us away. And we suffer for nothing, for no purpose whatsoever. The band can come back. There used to be a book, and it's probably still available. It's a little bit like Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book called Hind's Feet on High Places. It's an allegory of the Christian walk from unbeliever to new believer to immature believer to mature believer. It's a story of a young woman by the name of Much Afraid. Came from the family of fearing much. And she had a cousin that wanted to marry her. Her cousin was fear. And in her journey, she said to the shepherd, I want to learn to walk on the high places. And the shepherd said, I will send you to the high places. And I'm going to send two companions to help you. I'm going to send sorrow and I'm going to send suffering. Oh, shepherd, she said, can't you send joy and peace to be my friends? No, you need sorrow and suffering to go to the high places. To get to where I want you to go, you need those things. Pain has a purpose, friends. Not something to be avoided, something to be learned from. Something to be embraced with the mindset of God. Help me to learn what you want me to learn in the middle of this pain. So that when I do get through it to the other side, this journey will not be wasted. But I will have stronger faith. I'll have deeper intimacy with you. And I will have greater compassion and empathy for others that are suffering around me. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head. Just while while you're sitting in the presence of the Lord right now. I want to tell you something. Jesus coming into your life will not take away your troubles. But he will become a fantastic companion in the middle of your troubles. There is some pain and suffering that He will take away. There's some things that are happening in your life right now. Surrendering your life to Jesus will actually rectify and fix. But coming to Jesus sometimes can make things worse. But it's always for our betterment. It's always for our growth. It's always for our development. And let me tell you something. I'd rather go through the valley of the shadow of death with the shepherd than go through on my own. And today, that shepherd, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, is in this meeting wanting to connect with you. Wanting to take you by the hand and walk from this moment onwards through the rest of your life and into the future that he has for you. If you're in this meeting today and you've never met the shepherd, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never allowed him to actually steer your ship, Right now, where you're sitting with eyes closed, heads about, I'd like you to just take a step of faith. I'm not going to embarrass you, but just raise your hand right where you're sitting. I'll see it. God will see it. I'll just know to include you in this prayer when I pray at the end of the meeting. Thank you down there. Thank you. There's two ladies down there. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? You want to join these two ladies? Thank you. Again, down the back. Three, three ladies have just raised their hand saying, I, I want to surrender my life to the shepherd. I want him to walk with me in the pain.
I want to learn what the pain is for. Very quickly, someone else. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way whatsoever. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to pray. We're all going to pray together. And uh, you're not going to be highlighted in any way. So, you know, I know, I know what fear is like. I know what it is. You think, I don't know anybody here. We're, again, I'm not, we're not going to embarrass you. We're simply at the end of the meeting going to put something in your hand for you to take home to help you start this journey of faith. Very quickly in these closing moments, is there someone else? You want to join these three ladies right now and say, yeah, that's me. Include me in your prayer. Father, I thank you for the three hands that have gone up today. Each one of those people have a story. They've walked life in whatever sphere or realm. You know all about them. You see their life right now. You see where they've come from. You see where they are and you see ultimately where you really want them to go. And Today, Lord, as they come before you to surrender their life to you, I pray that you would come into their life and be a very, very real presence to them. That they would begin the journey of knowing you and experiencing you and enjoying your strength and your grace and your enabling power in every day of their life. And what we're going to do right now is we're all going to pray a prayer. But those three ladies who put your hand up, I want you to pray this right out of your heart. I'm going to give you the words, but you let them be your words. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I surrender my life to you. I confess today that I am lost without you, that everyone is a sinner, including me. But you've promised if I confess my sin to you, you will cleanse me of all my sin and unrighteousness. So I come to you today, confess my sin before you and my absolute need of you and ask you to come into my heart as my Saviour from sin, but as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.